Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this edition of the NACAFA 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. And coming up on this edition, we have current TSN radio host, former Ottawa Citizen newspaper writer, and probably most importantly, NACAFA alumni and graduate Matt Sikaris joining us. That coming up right after the brief pause. Hey Wayne. Hey Matt, how you doing? I'm well. Good. Good. Appreciate you joining us to, for the podcast today, Matt. It's, uh, it's a pleasure getting you on here finally. Okay. Yeah, no, a few attempts at this, but I'm ready to rock. No, beautiful, beautiful. Well, like I said, I kind of gave a little bit of an intro at the beginning there, um, introduced what you were doing now, and what I was hoping to do, and I explained uh, a little bit to people what you were, uh, what you're kind of up to, your past with Nakapa, but what I'd like to really kind of um, within the form of our podcast today, Matt, is kind of just take a look, A, kind of make it two parts. Kind of take a look back at your days in the cap, any stories you have, uh, your playing days, some of the uh, famous and infamous characters you may have crossed paths with, what all meant to you. And then I want to kind of touch base on the timeline of you getting to where you're at sports right now. And sure. Kind of talk to, say, some of our younger uh, younger athletes and seeing how they can kind of you as a role model or an example and then take your lead type of thing sure sure so no what? i'm i'm happy to do that uh I, i've told you before uh, you know my times as a canada march hair and playing in calf of football are uh, very memorable for me and they helped inform uh, my life and my path forward so i'm happy to share uh, I'm happy to share those stories. I'm delighted, Wayne, that you're putting this uh, together for NCAFA athletes. Um, so uh, kudos to you, my friend. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate that. Like I said, it's fun to have you on here. So, you know what? Why don't, uh, why don't we kind of start off? We were, you, there's a nice little segue into it. Um, we're talking about NCAFA. We're talking about, you know, what it, we kind of, I can hear it in your voice when you were talking and others will say the same thing about me as, as what those memories kind of, uh, you know, just mentioned kind of evokes those memories and what they mean but let's go back to your uh, kind of your start in football Matt what got you interested in uh, in playing football well my dad was a football player and uh, a pretty good one through Loyola College uh, in Montreal which we now know as Concordia University he was a bronze letter winner there meaning he was a starter for his uh, the entirety of his career four years uh, they won a championship in 1969 under George Dixon the former great Alouette and CFL MOP Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was a big football fan. And um, when I was young, we moved to Calgary. And as part of uh, his new office, there were season tickets to the Stampeders. And so we would go to Stampeders games and uh, we'd watch the NFL on TV. And uh, my dad would tell me stories about his football exploits and, you know, put it all together. And uh, I was hooked on the sport at a very, very young age. Like, four or five years old, Wayne, um, you know, I'm sitting at McMahon stadium in Calgary, you know, yelling things at the coaches and players and, you know, the section would get a kick out of me sort of thing. So, um, yeah, no, I, I fell for this game pretty hard at an early age and, um, you know, still love it to this day. Uh, and you know, did my best to play it for six years in then Kappa. 
Nice, nice. No, uh, one thing I didn't mention at the kind of in my intro when we're introducing your, 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 you and some of your, your background um, was I didn't give in, uh, I guess, in the spirit of full disclosure that Matt and I go back. Um, we're going on, uh, you know, over 30 years. Now that no one <laughs> I think it's 35 years, Wayne. I, I met your brother in grade two at um, George Vanier elementary school in Canada. So I think that makes a seven, uh, you know, I'm about to turn 44 here. So it's 35, 36 years, I think, since I've known you. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, no. And like I said, the funny thing is, is that uh, for some, we might go out, I just kind of warn her, we might go off on some stories or I might ask some questions. I already know the answers to, but, um, but it, it's fascinating all the same, just cause I mean, I do have some fond memories of growing up the way we did growing up where we did. And not just football, but kind of our families uh, and the families of, of Canada. You know, it was a different time period. But anyways, that's uh, that's subject matter that we could easily get into a completely different podcast on a complete different podcast series. So you, you end up in the... Uh, the way we were in old Canada, Beaverbrook, circa 1984. Well, I was about to say, we were, uh, you know, we were on the cusp of when Canada, there was no old Canada because Canada was being built up. So there was like, That's yeah, the there was that distinguishable line, Canada and Glen Cairn, and that was it. There was yeah. And you know, Katimovic fought for, uh, or people fought for. Where, where, where was Katimovic? Was it Gun? It was third. It was third. Katimovic, then Bridalwood, then uh, yeah. either Canada Lakes or Morgan uh, down uh, down south there. But anyways, yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, or Canada North, I should say. And now yeah, it's you Canada got it. South, I believe. It was so. the lakes and Morgan Grant. It yeah, Morgan Grant. Yeah, that's it. Uh, anyways, but anyways, but again, so you find yourself in Canada. Um, yeah, a little bit about that. I mean, I, I mean, I know the influence your dad had on you. I've had the privilege of uh, of having numerous, numerous football discussions with your dad, and and, and I mean, again, for full disclosure, uh, you know this, but for no, I'm a huge fan of your dad. Somewhat biased when talking about uh, Ron as a subject, but uh, but yeah, so I know where some of that passion lit, and where some of that uh, growing house. Kind of describe if you remember what you remember about your uh, your first few days with in, in Canada playing football, that first time putting equipment, that first hit. Any, any come to mind? So many years. Yeah. Later? Well, I I do remember I wanted to play really badly, and uh, I do think my mother had a little bit of reservation about it. She didn't know my dad when he was a football player, and you know she came from a British family, so you know football was certainly not cultural to her but um you know she'd gone to alouette's games with my dad when they got married in montreal and she came to stan peter's games with us after we had moved to calgary and um you know we got to ottawa when i was seven uh, seven or eight and uh a few two three years later i was on the football field and uh my mom went to an early practice and you know she saw us all lined up single file doing our jumping jacks, counting them out, you know, and she saw coaches that we called, sir, yes, sir. And we called the hockey coach, Danny, you know, we called the <laughs> baseball coach, Len. So I think there was a, a structure and a regiment and a discipline um, that she knew would have been good for me. And uh, sure enough, it was. So, you know, I remember I played defensive end my first year. Your brother actually was my bookend defensive end. Your brother was a fierce, fierce football player. Um, so I would try to muster, you know, get up to his, 
level a fair bit. And, um, you know, I was, I was okay. I was, hey, I was an aggressive kid uh, with frustrations. And, you know, you're allowed to hit people legally and you didn't get in trouble. Um, and, you know, my mom and dad loved it because, you know, there was a, a different male voice in my life, uh, you know, barking orders and, you know, giving me the discipline that, frankly, I needed uh, back then. Um, so, yeah, no, it was I think it was a positive experience for our whole family. We all got something out of it. You'll remember my dad would later come on and coach, coach special teams uh, with Canada. And, um yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. Like, you know, uh, even, th- you know, three practices a week in one game was a little bit different than what we're accustomed to. Usually it's the other way around, like hockey or baseball or something like that. But uh, um, I love that practice field. I would stayed out there all night. It was two and a half, three hour practice. I would I would have stayed there four hours, five hours. Uh, and, uh, and then came the games. We didn't win many of them. <laughs> we, uh, we weren't very good. Um, but you know, one of the things uh, that I think football teaches you is how to take an ass kicking because when you lose in that game, you typically just don't lose on the scoreboard. You lose, uh, with some, uh, tax, some toll on your body and, uh, spirit. And, uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's probably not the worst thing for a kid to learn. No, very true. One of the things I like that you said, um, and something that all these years later, I remember about just getting into football and I mean, in a lot of ways, I knew it was occurring. And in some ways that it was only years later that I knew it had occurred. And that's the thing about the, the, the discipline, kind of discipline, the, the structure, the way it's regimented. Like there were no other sports or no other activities you undertook that I remember undertaking at that age. Kind of gave you that regimented approach, yeah. structure to it. And I remember it wasn't, um, and I was much like yourself when I was a young kid. I mean, I, I, I like to think that I was a decent enough kid, but on the other hand, I, I, I benefited from that structure. It was one of those things that I didn't resist because of the kind of packaging it came in. And I think mm-hmm. that was one of the lessons, takeaways that I think um, a lot of people I talked to had on that. So you started off, you were playing defensive end you're bookend with my brother i mean i know i still walk the streets of canada and hear about the two of you, <laughs> you know, that's right there's the uh what do they call them the purple people leaders <laughs> new york sack exchange yeah the, uh, green of the philadelphia yeah Eagles. not quite and then you guys come up in conversation <laughs> so mm-hmm. i mean definitely something's happened there now again you kind of had that you, know, you guys started off in playing mosquito football and mosquito was the bare minimum when you were playing you didn't have the option of playing uh of playing um tight beforehand so you guys were playing a mosquito kind of tell me how things evolved if you can again it's going back a while but what do you remember about the evolution of going from the game from mosquito where we're still Mm -hmm. we're not even adolescent we're we're kind of that tween age or or age to where you went all the way through to bantam and bantam you're leaving truly as a young man can you try to talk about that a yeah bit? yeah well um my second year mosquito uh was probably my best year personally i was bigger than a lot of kids so that certainly helped you know the awakening came when i moved up a lever uh moved up a level uh and suddenly you know there was kids as big and as physical as I was, but I, I played those first two years at defensive end. I was their defensive captain in our second year. So actually called the plays in the huddle as a defensive end. Um, and then the next couple of years, 
uh, I play, you know, I played a, a hodgepodge of positions. You know, I was big, so I played some offensive tackle. I played some tight end. You know, one year I played DB and not very well, but, um, you know, I got back to playing defensive end. And, you know, six years into, into it, I didn't quite love playing the game as much. Um, the other thing, you know, was like I was getting close to, uh, university age. And I, you know, at that point, you know, wasn't a good enough student to, uh, commit three plus nights a week or, you know, as much time as football was going to take at that level. Cause you know, at that point now you're, uh, so I got asked by Myers to come, uh, and, and walk on and play whatever the level is before, uh, university Wayne. And uh, you'll have to help. Midget. Yeah. Yeah. Midget. So, um, and I, dec- you know, I declined um, simply because, I, you know, at that point I had other priorities in my life. It was pretty clear to me I wasn't going to play pro football at that point. Unlike yourself, Wayne, it was pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to play pro football at that point. So um, that was the end of my football career. And I remember being sad and I remember, uh, you know, being a little ticked off at myself that I didn't, you know, have it in me to keep giving it the sport a go um but you know as it turned out you know football became a big part of my life from that point forward so i still had a great connection to the game well that's awesome i appreciate you sharing that with us um and before we and you know what uh before we kind of get into your life after football i mean we both had similar coaches or some of our coaches were very similar and i know you and i talked uh we've talked numerous times throughout our life but even when we were just talking about this podcast series talking offline um, in terms of some of our fond memories and, and you know, how the world was a different place and, and some of the, the the men that were leaders back then are great, phenomenal men, but maybe their methods might not be as appreciated today. Um, yeah. Any, any memories that stick out, like, uh, or any coaches in particular that you know that you still think of some of them to this day, 30-odd years later? Yeah. No, that's that's so true. I I, I mean, when uh, my first batch of coaches uh, with the Kenamar Sheriffs and Mosquito uh, were just uh, tremendous leaders, uh, wonderful voices to have in my life at the at the time. Uh, Coach Dury, Coach Duffy, Coach Barr, Bob Barr, and I'm not sure that anyone has done more for Canada football than Coach Barr. Um, and then. Um, Coach McGuire, who was the defensive coordinator, Mike McGuire is a sergeant in the Ottawa police who uh, um, I became very close with over uh, the two years that I played for him. And, you know, he'd check in on our games too. When I moved up on the ranks, he'd pull myself and your brother aside and offer a word or two, uh, you know, as we were on getting ready to take the field. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, he, he was absolutely a needed voice for me uh, at the time because, you know, I was a kid who lacked discipline, lacked some structure. I didn't, you know, uh, reflexively uh, respect authority. And, um, and you, you know, you mentioned my dad, Wayne, you know, my household, there were always debates at the supper table and that was encouraged and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, Coach McGuire was someone who, you know, he forced you into respect. It was his practice field and uh, there was no ambiguity about who was who was in charge so yeah no he he got in my face he grabbed my face mask uh you know i can still you know smell his breath sort of thing mm-hmm. and you know we did up downs we did uh, jacks we ran laps we did push-ups when things went poorly but you know there were also the moments the tender moments where he pulled you aside 
and he'd say something to me like, you know, <laughs> you know, you're in the huddle calling the defense. If you're not playing it right, Matt, like how do I have any chance with some of the other ones, you know, and those, those sorts of comments that just would make you swell up. Right. Like, because he was your ally, he was on your side. He wanted the best for you. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think I told you the story, Wayne, but later, uh, later in life, I was dating a young lady and uh, her older brother was dating coach McGuire's daughter. And so I got to reconnect with him a number of years later when he was no longer a coach. And I saw, you know, sort of the non-coach, side of him the father and you know all of that and husband and and uh and uh it was it was a tremendous uh, exchange and i treasure it to, to this day you know years later i i heard that he was sick with cancer and then sure enough uh when he passed uh i was living downtown in the glebe a few blocks from the uh funeral home and i went on over to pay my respects and you know i was pretty young and still had been to a lot of funerals or wakes and uh, there was a receiving line um of all his brothers and sisters and their spouses and i remember it because uh i knew he's from a big irish family and i remember his one brother used to come to our games a lot and support uh support uh coach mcguire and uh he happened to be at the end of the receiving line and you know as i went up and down and telling everybody who i was and you know saying my sympathies you know he pulled me aside and he said you know you must be like the 18th to 20th young man to walk through here tonight saying i played for coach mcguire and then you know said a few words about what that meant to his family and uh you know i couldn't hold it together emotionally at that point i'm I'm barely doing that now um but yeah that was meaningful to me to know that i wasn't alone that uh there were a number of other young football players in canada who had um, you know, receive some sort of gift from him, you know, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something I'm very thankful for to this day. No, and the cool thing is with with Coach McGuire, if I can jump in and add um, <clears throat> add kind of an add on to that, is is what I one of the things I like you touched on is you got to know him, and I mean it's one thing to have him as coach is great. I mean I think you'd agree with me when I use the the the, the term here larger than life. That's what he was. He was a larger than life figure. Um, you know, he was this, this, the figure of discipline. I'm sure if we were to bump into the, the 1980s coach McGuire, now we would be shocked. He's not six foot seven, 250 <laughs> pounds. Like, wait, yeah. can't be coach McGuire. But one of the cool things is that you said you had a chance to actually get to know him outside of football. And it kind of, yeah. it kind of reminded me, cause I mean, it was interesting. I, I played with his son years later in high school and so I had the similar opportunity to kind of talk to him again, much like you made me smile when you said he pulled you aside when you're going in for your Pee Wee or Bantam games. This was an Earl of March game. Yeah. Uh, game. Years after I played Mosquito, years after I played, he was my defensive coach. At this time, I'm playing quarterback, and he's still pulling me aside, giving me his talk. <laughs> And, you know, well, he was he wasn't going to miss a coaching opportunity, frankly. <laughs> no, and knew how to deliver them. Like they knew how to deliver. Yeah. Them. Some yeah. of the greats. Like I mean, it, it's like there, there's that that ability, like you said, to to kind of motivate you without you know. There was never with uh, it was a guy that he would let you know it or let you have it when you had to have it. But on the other hand, they were never personally motivated they were it was that perfect combination of coach that i can remember it was just that yeah you know he pushed the right buttons 
and he challenged your play, not your personality. And he was one of those people that, um, you know, and yeah. he probably a lot of it up with his, with his career in the police force, but could yeah. read, he knew when you were down. Oh, um, and cool. Wayne, like those, those first practices and, you know, back then you had to make the team. I don't know if that's the case now, but you know, you went through a training camp and so they cut people. And so that was really hard. And then you got to, okay, you're on the team and now we're going to work out who's playing what position and whatnot. And like the practices got harder, you know? So mm-hmm. like, I remember, you know, those first few months, my first football season, um, I'd be just exhausted, like spent coming off the football field, you know, and walking home. So, you know, it's, um, boy, you know, it, it it tested it it tested you physically at a young age and oh, uh, there was nothing else like that. yeah hockey you had i remember hockey it was an hour right you'd only got the one hour ice rental so yeah it only can get so hard in an hour you know yeah. we practiced for two and a half three hours and it wasn't really an hour because you were on the ice on the hour and you were yeah. off the the zamboni 10 that's minutes. right that's right. On top of it, I would argue when I look back at my hockey practices, you had maybe 10 minutes that were uncomfortable in the sense you were doing the lightning drill, the hard yeah. power skating. And the rest was rather, you know, it was enjoyable. And now don't get me wrong. I think you'll agree with me. Football was enjoyable. I don't want to yeah. make it tough, But it was two hours of, of, of literally work. Like it was just yeah. no. at a very young age. So, but anyways, one of the other coaches I wanted to touch on before we kind of leave your uh, your days in Canada with the Canada um, Canada March Hairs or the Canada Hairs, I should say, at one point, and then now the Canada Knights. Yeah. Uh, we had talked once, and I kind of wanted to um, bring up a name because I know you'd probably be disappointed if we didn't touch on a bit. Oh yeah, Ken Charter was Ken Charter exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you did. I'm gosh uh i'm embarrassed for missing it in the first round i think i had cannon peewee though uh or yeah. bantam not not um not mosquito but you know for me it was the perfect personality as a head coach uh you know he was a little guy so you know back then as kids we were probably we were certainly more eye to eye with ken than we were with uh, some of the other coaches uh, he was a little guy but just such a warm loving you know teddy bear of a guy you knew he was on your side. He was the perfect temperament to be a head coach because very rarely would he have a negative word to say. He'd let the assistants do it and he'd pick his spots to say what he wanted to say. And you knew, and he'd de- deliver it with such a, you know, I'm disappointed in you, children, you know, way that you just sunk, uh, you know, if he happened to have a, a critical uh, word. But, you know, one of the things I remember, I can't share. We're playing East Gloucester, and they are a superstar team, uh, much better than us. And we were so revved up for the game um, that we went down and scored the first six points. Then I can still see it. I'm defensive end uh, playing in pursuit. Um, They'd run toss sweep with their stud tailback, Damian Lowry, and I'll never forget that name. He played with us in Canada prior to that. I remember that. Was a yeah, and Damien was a big, powerful, fast guy. And your brother and one of our other friends not only ride him out of bounds, but ride him through the East Gloucester sideline across the track and throw him into a parked car. 
and like flags are coming out from everywhere. Every horn is blowing on every official's wristband. And, um, and uh, you know, like I look at your brother and our other buddy and like there are, their eyes are, I'll never forget their eyes. Like just, you know, an intensity, the likes of which I have never seen on a, on a human being or a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it dawns on Ken that, you know, Maybe we're a little too revved up for this game. Um, you know, anyways, we, we wound up losing the game by a healthy margin. Um, but I still remember, you know, the contact and the physicality and just how we were absolutely at our our maximum, our, our optimal uh, in terms of the effort that we were willing to put forth and, uh, you know, lay your body on the line sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, Cam was a great, great man. Um uh, and uh, and I treasure my time with him. Well, it's funny because um, and, and most again, this is going back years, so most of the younger people listening won't have a clue who we're talking about. Yeah. But I know you know who I'm going to bring up here. It's funny because there was an old Saskatchewan Rough Riders coach. That's where he got his fame, Joe Farragelli. Yes, Papa Joe was Papa Joe and I know my dad uh, used to write in the local paper at a standard at the time and then yeah. the standard courier yeah right and my dad dubbed him Papa Ken yeah and here's the thing Wayne I, I think Ken got us free tickets from the riders and, and Papa Joe when he was uh, when he was coaching in Ottawa if I'm not mistaken um, I wouldn't sure. surprise me like you said there's some uh, yeah pretty- on your face again. I mean, um, one of the one of the, the 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 nicer things or better opportunities that I had thanks to football was years later after having played for Ken Charter as a, and he took over. Um, it was a transition from Stu Chandler. There's a name for you to um, Ken Charter in terms of my Mosquito team. So it was uh, only in Mosquito that it happened. It was years later when I was in university that I actually, um, I actually think you were, yeah, you know what? <laughs> what am I saying? It's all tying in when you were saying you believe it was Bantam. You had, and it was Bantam that you had, Ken, because I was coaching yeah. um, before I went off to, um, to training camp that fall um, or that summer, rather. So, I mean, yeah, that was the, and so years yeah. later. Um, I had the he brought you back to the program, as I recall, and I was very pleased to see that, Wayne, because, you know, uh, those uh, of us who know you know that you have always thought football on a very high level. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that uh, Coach Charter would have seen you as an asset in that regard. Uh, I appreciate it. I, like I said, I, uh, any coaching I've done since then, and that's going back years ago, I kind of, I say, you know, my – my true kind of uh, introduction or if i was to give one person like you know you can't yeah. give one person there's so many you give credit that yeah. but if i'm gonna really pinpoint the credit as to getting me into coaching and some of the stuff that i'm involved mm-hmm. in uh it would be ken charter ken yeah charter. and and uh, i hear that on a purely football coaching basis wayne but i'm someone who knows your parents and you mentioned your father ev um and may may he rest easy uh, wrote in the local newspaper. He was, you know, the color commentator on the local Rogers broadcast that everybody got a shot at. Shot at. And I played soccer for your mom, Jennifer, Coach Jen. Uh, so uh, you had, you know, you had community service and coaching in your background before Ken Charter got his hooks in you. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think it was already planted there. I just think the true, 
I mean, much like many of my friends I've talked to, some have gone on to coach and others haven't coached, but one common theme amongst the vast majority of guys I played with when we played um, was none of us were going to go on to coach. You know, I, I always saw myself, Matt, I play, I don't coach. I mean, again, it's a very narrow kind of sighted player at the time point of view focused on what you're doing. But it was really then that kind of even when I was still playing, brought asked me to come back. I thought it would be yeah fun or whatever, and, and gave me my first choice. Not you know for for wanting to be involved in that type of coaching on a macro level, but more on a micro level being football. Um, I got to throw this out here too, just to give credit where credit is due, and we don't yeah. Um, I, I want to mention that Jennifer also won um a canada soccer championship back in the day when i when i was playing for a team she turned it was like one of the bad news bear scenarios so for those that don't know my mom one heck of a soccer coach won the uh won the west city championship and this is going way back matt to the point when uh you know it was frowned upon to have females even coaching soccer yeah well uh, you know completely different mentality so she had wait, her- wait i think you know where i'm going with this uh statement but you're your mom gave no quarter. <laughs> no, as tough as any male coach that I that I played for. And just hearing that story, I'm disappointed now that my brother, or your brother, and I could not lift her soccer team to a West City Championship either. We we not only failed to live up to your legacy, Wayne, but uh, I'm sure we disappointed her as well somewhere gotta, along the way. I got to ask her at some point. I'm going to keep this statement to 20 seconds or less because I'm going down a rabbit hole right now. Yeah. There's a dude, and I still, to this day, I don't remember the kid's last name. And I always joke, it was a bad news bear scenario. We, I think we started 0-4, 0-5. We were just horrible. Then we got a couple players added on the team because it was unfairly dispersed to begin with. And it just shot through like we were kind of the vagabond team. And then we just kept winning. And we had this one guy, Richard. And to this day, I can't remember his last name. But that was that guy. It was like right out of central casting. But anyways, yeah. not to worry. I can't claim that I was much part of that. Yeah. In as much as Richard, wherever you are out there. <laughs> well, look, you know, talking about great players you played with, I played with Pat Woodcock and I played against Jesse Palmer. And uh, Wayne, you'll have to help me out on what's happened here over the intervening 30 years. But uh, if Encafa has produced, you know, better players than Jesse Palmer and Pat Woodcock, it sure, certainly can't be many. Um, you know, Pat was my teammate. I was a year ahead of Pat. And um, of course, he, you know, went to Syracuse University on a football scholarship, got footballs from a guy named Donovan McNabb uh, has some cups of coffee in the NFL with the Giants in Washington and then uh, came to CFL where he was the most outstanding Canadian player in the 2002 great cup for the Alouettes when they beat Edmonton in Edmonton uh, and he set a great cup record that day with a 91 yard touchdown catch uh, which was the key score in a low scoring ugly game on a horrible field Pat played corner on my side my second year mosquito and uh i like to think that i am the last person to line up in a defensive huddle shoulder to shoulder with pat woodcock because the next year they moved them the quarterback or tailback and they won a city championship and you know pat got noticed and you know made his way to the myers program and you know suddenly uh lived a professional football life and uh you know it's funny that great cup game i'm telling you about I was covering it for the Ottawa Citizen. I was the football beat writer. It was my first Grey Cup. And uh, 
I go down to the winner's locker room and a side door opens and Pat's sitting there with the most uh, outstanding Canadian trophy. He pulls me in and he gives me a quick interview. And I no sooner walk outside, and I bump into his daddy in, uh, who's waiting for Pat outside the locker room. And I, you know, sort of, Ian, that's the Karis I played with your son all those years ago. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I told him the story. And I mean, he just grabbed me and he squeezed me. And like the emotion that was uh, coursing through that man, just so proud of his son. And, uh, you know, being able to chronicle that story for the citizen uh, was, you know, really special. And that goes back to in Cafe Days. And, uh, yeah, so I was, very, you know, very pleased uh, to play with and then cover Pat later when he was an Ottawa renegade and, and through his journey in the CFL. Uh, superb, superb athlete and uh, a terrific person. And then I played against Jesse Palmer. Uh, not, I think Jesse's two years younger than me. So I think I only played against him the one time in Mosquito because Jesse started very young, as you may know. Uh, and Jesse was with the uh, Nepean Rams. And, uh, you know, of course, Wayne, I was with you. We watched your brother play for Carlton down at Queens. And then I, I remember we booked it uh, back to your house in Orleans to watch Jesse start for the defending national champion Florida Gators on the road at Auburn's Jordan Hare Stadium uh, as a true freshman. And, like, we sat there just mouths agape going, like, this guy was on a field with – he was at the Nepean Sportsplex. He was at Minto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he was – yeah, no, because Doug Johnson went down. I remember that. And he, uh, he got to start and uh, – yeah, no – he didn't get the finish, but he got the start at like at 18. And, um, you know, so fast forward, um, you know, Jesse becomes the first non-American trained quarterback to start a game in the NFL. And I covered it, uh, at the Louisiana Superdome in new Orleans. It's famous for being the Joe Horn flip phone, oh, yeah. game, pulling the flip phone out of the, uh, uh, protection on the uh, goalpost. Um, but, uh, you know, here's the story. Uh, I, uh, I was in Miami, South Beach, and my brother and I were watching the NFL games. We saw Kerry Collins go down for the Giants. And I want to say it was two or three weeks left in the NFL season. And I called my editor at the Ottawa Citizen, and I said, Jesse Palmer is in the game. We should have a little short something on this tomorrow. But more importantly, if Jesse Palmer is starting next week, we have to cover that story. And to her infinite credit, Beverly Wake um, said, yeah, yeah, you're covering that story. And uh, I flew to New Orleans and uh, one of two Canadians in the press box. Um, and they lost the game. Jesse had some early success. And uh, yeah, no, like we dug through all the files and there was a couple of other quarterbacks who weren't born in the U.S. but were trained in the U.S. And, you know, turns out Jesse was the first ever non-American trained quarterback to start a game in the NFL. And um you know, his story begins with his dad, Bill, and the Nepean Rams, and then Kaffa football. So well, it's actually funny because one of the things that's interesting that you bring up that, that there's still going to be some degree of legacy to that as time progresses. Um, most kids nowadays, they find themselves leaving in ninth, 10th, 11th, even 12th grade to go to south of the border to try to enhance their opportunities, to enhance their competition, to yeah. enhance chances of scholarship so a lot of these quarterbacks that are starting to have um some degree of success south of the border um even those guys have played one two some, yeah. some 
three years of high school. And like you said, that interesting thing that I always, even at that, it fascinated me with Jesse that you bring back that Auburn game because that that really it, it was something that struck struck a chord with me right there as I was watching that. I remember it well. I remember watching. I was in Orleans watching that game. And um, mm-hmm. I lived there at the time, and I remember uh, watching it. We're watching that game, and it's just it's like this guy was playing at the Nepean Sportsplex in front of maybe seventy five people, mm-hmm. um, you know, a hundred people. Yeah, on an important game, maybe a couple hundred. But again, it's midget. You're not kids anymore. Um, you yeah. know, months ago, and now he's he's in front of eighty plus thousand hair. Yeah, between the hedges in the SEC, uh, it's quite a meteoric rise. And look, you know, uh, Snake, uh, Michael O'Connor, who, hey, another Ottawa quarterback, right? Like, we have a legacy of quarterbacks uh, in in Ottawa. And quite frankly, Snake, you know, I'm sitting there watching Jesse that day and thinking, you know, this could have been the guy to my left at one point, right? Like, you were a tremendous uh quarterback as a young guy and very serious and frankly a little bit of a pioneer because you drove around to those camps in the u.s in the summer and got exposure and whatnot and you know jesse and bill took it to a different level um, because if you know bill everything is at a different level um i don't necessarily like begrudge a kid or a parent particularly if you want to play quarterback for saying i gotta go to a prep school because you know, it's the hardest position to play in all of sports. I've, I've covered all the major sports. There's nothing like quarterback, you know, like there's nothing that has all the demands physically. Um, and then, you know, go home, son, and, you know, get yourself familiar with all 11 or all 12 positions on a, you know, 150 play page playbook. You know, there's not a lot of people who could do that. And um, Jesse absolutely could. Um you know, the ability to concentrate for long periods of time, the discipline to just work at the position and forego, you know, school dances and movies and peggers and all of that. Um, Jesse was absolutely that guy. Like he is an extremely hardworking, focused and dedicated um, person. And it took all of that, let's to say, to get from Encafa to between the hedges on an SEC Saturday in one calendar year. But, you know, the other thing you talk about quality of competition, at least quality of teammate, quality of practice. I mean, that Myers program uh, that Bill Palmer, Jesse's dad, for those who don't know, Bill played, uh, played for the uh, Riders and Argos in the CFL. Um, you know, I forget how many scholarships they wound up getting out of the lane, but I think it was something like 15 to 20 or maybe more than 20 kids wound up going to the U.S. on some form a football scholarship. There was the uh, Pilon brothers, Mark and Jeff. Jeff had a, you know, superior career in the CFL. Uh, Pat Woodcock, we mentioned Pat, and, you know, a whole bunch of other guys. So, um, you know, if high school football hasn't always been Ottawa's thing, and it certainly wasn't back then, um, but there was a, you know, an unbelievable commitment from the people involved in Catholic football uh, back then. So that serious players could flourish. Hundred percent, and like I said earlier, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I I think it's one of the evolution of the game for Canadian players, and I and I like seeing them get their opportunities at prep schools in the states and uh, at high school and whatnot. I, I just, it's like you said, I find it very fascinating that Jesse has reached pretty much the peak of Canadian quarterback. Um, yeah. And he put it under his dad's guys for the Myers Riders. Like I said, again, I'm fogging a dead horse here, but literally, folks, think about it. It's 10 months, and he went 
playing at the Nepean Sportsplex, where you know there was probably more people in the rink than uh, than on the out watching a football field or whatever. More people, maybe even the parking lot, parking cars and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, you know, nine months later, sort of, um, you know, Auburn and, and with top five teams. Auburn on the road for the defending national champions. Like, no, with the team that's you know, it's not like he just he got into a game at Bowling Green when he started for Florida. <laughs> with the team that had national championship aspirations. Yeah. Johnson, yeah. Johnson break his leg the week before. Something like that. Noah Brindis wound up coming in to be the replacement. I believe Jesse and Noah even did the like one play in, one play out thing yeah. later that year under Coach Spurrier. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, like just getting, um, I mean, it truly is one of the great stories, uh, underreported stories of athletic achievement, if you ask me, uh, in our country's annals. And look, Jesse didn't start more in a few games in the NFL. Um, Jesse didn't last much longer after he was let go uh, from the CFL and, you know, needless to say, had aspirations and, and was justified in his career, uh, choosing a career in broadcasting. But um, again, you know, there, there, there are very few things that are harder to do in athletics than play quarterback in the NFL. Um, hundred meter sprinter comes to mind, you know, but there are very few things um, that is going to require, you know, everything that playing quarterback in the NFL, even just sticking on a roster in the NFL at quarterback requires. And, uh, you know, Jesse did it from the ground up in the PN Ontario. And, uh, my hat is off to him. My hat has oh, always been off to him. Very impressive. Like I said, it kind of, I think he gets forgotten a little bit because of broadcasting, because of his, uh, yeah. reality TV, uh, yeah. career or whatnot, for lack of a better term. Um, but yeah. you're accomplished at a period and i mean again florida is is nowadays if kids hear this today here about florida like wow that's an sec power um to put it in perspective though, yeah. we're, we're going to one of the top three power programs in america over yeah the span of a decade like this was like well they were the power then snake like let's face it they, they only won the one national title but they played for at least two more right they played nebraska and florida state uh, or so I guess they won that second one against Florida, but yeah, no, I mean like they were the school, the passing school back then, and you know Jesse started for them as an eighteen-year-old freshman out of Confederation High, which I understand doesn't even you know exist anymore. I think yeah, the pious <laughs> guy. I think Jesse was a pious guy. Oh, was he? Okay, yeah, yeah. thought he was Confed, but anyways, my bad. Um, but yeah, no, he didn't play there. He played for Myers. Myers, and, uh, yeah. And it's an Encafa success story, clearly. Like you said, and I got to reiterate it just to kind of hammer home the point. I mean, this was a school of people that, like, they got the best quarterback in the country for about half a decade each year. Like, they were the the new Miami Hurricanes of the in the 90s, meaning that if you were a passing quarterback, you wanted to go and pass for what was the equivalent of back then of a million yards today yeah. like nothing like they're just you know, yeah no i mean somewhere. i mean it was the alabama or clemson of its day right like yeah. you know yeah. it would it would have been that level of program back then yeah. yeah exactly cool cool well it's interesting like i said some interesting stuff with you and uh and and pat woodcock one last question about pat actually and, and, and you'll and i'll tell you why i'm asking when you played with Pat, when you were teammates, did you have any was, – was he kind of a, a step ahead of all of you? Did you kind of – Well, here's the thing. Like, he was a he was a really good corner. Like, 
really fast, could chase down guys from the backside, pretty reliable tackler, but he's really small, right? Like he was, he was short and he was skinny. Um, so, you know, I can understand why the coaches at the time said, well, we're not, we're going to let him be the hammer, not the nail here. Um, and didn't have him playing another position. He may have played some receiver. I forget, but, um, no, he was, he was just a, a very, very good player and really fast. And I didn't really understand how talented he was until the next year when I'd moved up to Pee Wee. And, uh, you know, their games would be finishing as we'd get into the, uh, get into the park uh, to prep. And, like, they'd be walking off the field with another 37 to nothing victory. And it was like that was the catalyst of that team. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I think a few years later, so, you know, I, I watched this for, you know, every second year I'd play with Pat and he was damn good. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, a few years out, you know, I guess a couple of years, I think I saw playing at like 16, 17 and like a year or two later, I heard Dean Brown say on CFRA that there was a kid out of Canada receivers being recruited by Syracuse which back then was a darn good football program too, Wayne. It wasn't a Florida level, but it was better than it is now. And, um, you know, hearing the name Pat Woodcock, and I was like, whoa, Pat, you know, I, I didn't realize he'd be that level of player because, you know, again, he was, he was smaller. Um, but the next thing you know, he's off of Syracuse and he has a very good career there. And, you know, uh, winds up playing however many years, eight, nine years in the pros. Uh, got a huge contract out of the Renegades and good on him. Um, but yeah, no, he, he, you know, he winds up being a deep threat as a Canadian receiver in the CFL. Like that's, that's pretty good. Really? Not a lot of them. Um, do you remember a coach you had, um, there's a mask. Do you remember a coach you had in Bantam? Um, Chinny, Chinny Ohan, I believe. Oh, sure. Yeah. The ex uh, Clemson, uh, running back Clemson. English guy, if I'm not mistaken. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, Tip my hat with credit because the reason I asked you about Pat is I give yeah. that credit in Bantam. He called it, he called it to a T. He looked at me and he's watching Woodcock. This is in Canada in the 80s, so I mean, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Sorry, not I'm going back to when I was that age, so let's say very early 90s. Yeah, it'd be about that. Yeah, and he got uh, and he looks at me at one of the practices. Look at, look at what he run there with his British accent. Yeah. D one, he goes division one scat back, Dave Mega type back. Oh, for sure, yeah. Pat had tremendous change of direction at speed. Um, you know, there were some other kids who were fast, but the way Pat could change direction at speed, you know, just put his foot in the ground and make a, a, a cut. You know, he was very elusive, he was very hard to get your hands on. So, you know, I can I can understand why the Syracuse coaches saw what they saw in him. But look, give one football player. I believe Chinny may have even played uh, on that first Clemson National Championship team. Um, you know, was there identifying uh, Pat as a Division One talent? And, you know, a few years later, there's no doubt. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, I will ask you now, let's kind of uh, jump ahead now. Um, after your playing days were done, <laughs> uh, 
your 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 career. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm glad you called playing days because I think you called it career once with me, and I'm like, you know, Wayne, you had a career. I'm not I'm not sure six years that can Adam March Harris qualifies as a career. Um, so yeah, my playing days were done. And it was pretty clear to me I wasn't gonna be a pro football player, pro athlete, period. And yeah. um, I love writing and I love sports, so I pursued a career in sports journalism. And uh, it's worked out. Nice, nice. Now, um, when you look at it, do you? Uh, how would you tie? My question for you is kind of your days in the CAFA with what you're doing now. Like when you look back, if you back, and some of the lessons you might have learned, or some of the stuff you talked about, yeah, every day. Well, something um, which has been a little more recent for me, but you know, I've now been at my radio station more than ten years, uh, TSN 1040 in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, I had some early opportunities um, to activate some mentorship as well. So, you know, for me, you know, one of the uh, one of the ties that bind, if you will, Snake, is, uh, you know, is understanding what like a mentor can do for a career uh, or for a life. And, you know, that's that was expressed by, like I told you, many a football coach at Canada March Harris, Coach McGuire, Coach Charter. And, um, and and so, you know, young professionals in my field now who are, you know, wanting, I am happy to help out. I am happy to coach and bring advice to you. And, um, you know, there's a, a couple of guys working today and like they might just be, for my money, they are the two best television sports reporters in the country. And one is Mark Masters at TSN and one is the Rash Madani at Sportsnet. And they were both a little bit younger than me. And Mark went to Carlton like me and just called, cold called me one day out of the blue at my desk at the Citizen and said, hey, I know you were a Carlton journalism student, a sports editor, an editor-in-chief of the school newspaper, the Charlatan. Just want to let you know I've followed the same arc here. Uh, and I'd love it if you uh, if you could sit down and take a look at the paper with me and tell me what you think. And, you know, next thing I know, myself and Dave Naylor, who's also a Carlton guy and a television reporter at TSN and uh, former uh, who was active with the Charleston. We're sitting at the Royal Oak in the Glebe with them with a bunch of papers sort of, you know, Mark making notes and whatnot. And, you know, Mark was so impressive at such an early age. You know, it's not surprising to see me uh, to see him move up, you know, be the lead reporter at TSN on the Leafs and all that. And uh, Arash, similar story, cold called me when he hosted a little weekend radio show on uh, the Sports Talk Radio Station Montreal. So that, you know, like if you could join Alouettes this week. And I said, okay, I'm your producer. Call me, uh, you know, with all the details. And he goes, uh, I am my producer. <laughs> <laughs> so we started, we laughed. And, you know, from that point forward, I became a regular on his show and we developed a friendship. And, you know, I've worked, watched him work his way up to, you know, sports that's lead reporter. And he covers, you know, all the Olympics and Super Bowls, World Series, and NBA Finals and all this. So, uh, you know, boy, like I'm just, you know, all these years later, I'm just happy to be attached to both of these guys given their career. So I'm happy to do that with young people in our in our business now. But, you know, the, the game of football overall helped me, Wayne. Uh, discipline, structure, regiment, uh, respect. Um, you know, the other thing is it's, you know, football is chess. The rest are checkers in terms of strategy. It, you know, it gets you thinking. 
it gets you thinking about uh, a lot of things. And, uh, you know, that certainly helped my career too. Um, as I made my way up at first in newspapers and now in radio. Nice. Nice. Uh, I will, uh, I'll ask you, I'll kind of leave things off with a couple quick questions for you. Um, distinguish more like the same question, just uh, two separate points of view. Doing this a while, Matt, like in terms of, like you said, you, you, you've been a writer, you've been a sport voice, you've hosted talk radio, numerous sports. I remember your time with the NHL for a bit. Like you've, you've covered the game and stuff. through you. Um, and it's one of those things that, hey, I got to add as a side comment. It just scares me because it's, it's really that thing where you, you don't realize how much time has passed and how quickly it kind of changes. And I mean, I always think of you as a young guy because you're my younger brother's friend. And the yeah. idea is, you know what, you're a veteran at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. A young writer or a young. Yeah. But, anyways, neither here nor there. Um, your, fa- most, your, your best memory. Or your most fond memory as a as a sports journalist? Um, <laughs> what let's say football related? Um, oh boy, comes up, or do you have a couple that you can kind of pinpoint? Um, well, I covered three Super Bowls. Uh, the first one being Super Bowl thirty eight in Houston, Texas, where New England beat Carolina to win their second in three years. That was the second Adam Vinatieri field goal winner um so uh i did this thing i still sort of do this thing um where i'm at a huge if you know if i'm lucky enough to be at a huge sporting event and i've been to a few uh i will call my mom and dad who now live in stittsville ontario canada got too hectic for them (laughs) Um, uh so i called my mom and dad and you know just to check in and sort of you know paint a little bit of the picture uh, for them uh, because they're huge football fans and, you know, they're going to watch NFL playoffs, CFL playoffs, great cups. And, and um, so, yeah, the first one uh, that I attended after, you know, I got into the upper deck, the auxiliary press box and I, you know, got myself all set up and uh, then went out to the concourse. Of, it was called Reliance Stadium at the time. And I called my mom and dad, just you know, checking in. Yeah, I made it here through security. It's crazy because you know, 9/11 was the year before, Wayne. So you know, it was a new world. Uh, and uh, and uh, I could just tell my dad was very proud. You know, I could just you know, both both my parents, but you know, moms are my mom at least is expressive, and my dad's more subtle. And you know, I could just I could just tell it was running through my dad's head, like. You know, holy bleep, my son's at a Super Bowl covering guy. Like that, that was pretty heady stuff for him. So that was, uh, that was particularly memorable for me. But I'll tell you this, you know, the first game I ever covered on the road was a Carlton Concordia football game in 96, 97. And uh, I'm in the upper row as a student journalist. And uh, someone introduces me to, uh, you know, an old patriarch of the Concordia athletic program. And I introduce myself as Matt Sikers and goes, Is your father Ron? <laughs> it goes, as a matter of fact, yeah. And he goes, well, we're going to name our all-time football team here in the, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the program. Uh, and your father's going to be one of the running backs and maybe the punter as well. And uh, 
wow, uh, you know, suddenly I found myself face to face with a guy named Ed Enos, who was the athletic director emeritus at Concordia. Yeah. Uh, American guy, uh, Michigan guy, if I'm not mistaken, who had, you know, who had an enormous influence on my dad's uh, career. I know that he was in fact a trailblazer in terms of he invited the Weeder brothers of Montreal, who know a thing or two about bodybuilding uh, into the athletic department to, you know, work on weight training, which wasn't really a thing in the mid to late sixties for football teams, let alone no uh, sport football teams. And, you know, a devout Catholic and someone my dad had told me many stories uh, about over the years, you know, like running across campus. He knew my dad was Catholic. He said, you're coming to mass with me. And, you know, they'd have a coachable moment at mass with the priest. Um, so, yeah, no, like that, that, those two stand out in particular because, you know, my dad was very much uh, a big reason why I got into sports and got into football. And so uh, uh, those two moments stick out. Um but, you know, like I covered the 13th band, Grey Cup, uh, Montreal and Saskatchewan from Calgary, which, you know, to this day remains one of the craziest things I've seen. And, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be there a few years ago at BMO Field in Toronto when Ottawa, 40 years later, broke its Grey Cup drought and cover that spectacular football game. Uh, an enormous upgrade, uh, upset. So, that, that, uh, intertwining of, of sports or that crossing of paths or whatnot. It's funny, the, the Super Bowl you speak of, and this is the first time I, I know, like I've known you've covered the Super Bowl, but I didn't know that that one was specifically, a, that it was the eight with that one, the uh, the Panthers against the Patriots. And uh, I remember that one, all the Super Bowls become a blur if they're not like uh, great ones. That one was a good one. That one went into OT, I believe. Um, no, not OT. That was the, no. It didn't go to OT, as I recall, but I do think well, maybe it did go to OT. Shoot, <laughs> but I know it was a Vinatieri winning kick because they—I think they thought they were going to run out the clock against the Rams. That was when Madden was just so that's soon. right. That's right. That one went. But anyways, all that to say, I—I I happened to be in France, so I was watching that on a big projector with friends and stuff, with no idea that you were actually at that game. And then, um, and then it's funny when you talk about some of the other stuff or when you talk about your, your memories of the 13 man game, I've had the opportunity to coach with um, mm-hmm. coach uh, uh, Gary Echeverry on a, on a yes. few. Yes. Never, ever, ever even close in my life been around somebody who takes the meticulous care that the, he does not make sure that there's the, the proper numbers on special team substitutions. Yeah. And yeah. Like, and he wasn't the special teams coach that day, Wayne, but um, oh. I, I certainly know the guy who was. I do remember seeing Etch after the game. He was just dumbfounded. dumbfounded. Certainly right. staring in the, in the space. Um, all the time that you see that I don't have. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Matt. There's, I, one more, uh, there's one more story I'd like to tell, though, Wayne, because frankly, please, uh, boy, uh, and it's someone you and I both know. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell this one because this one goes back to Encafa as well. But, um, you know, has there been a better ambassador for football in our city than Darren Joseph over the years, DJ? And an old teammate of yours, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Actually. Uh, with the Sooners, GGs, uh, you know, maybe even other teams, Wayne, you tell me. Um, but... Um, when I covered the uh, expansion of Renegades in 2002, uh, DJ joined that team midway through the year, I want to say. And, uh, you know, a stalwart on special teams. He was long past his days with the Riders as a potential featured tailback, although that was a very fun little 
period in a in a uh in times that weren't very easy for the rough riders uh to see a local boy like that um you know, be such an, a, a key part of the offense. So Darren was a, a special teamer. And um, there was a game somewhere along the lines there with the Renegades where he set a CFL record for special teams tackles in a game. And a um, couple of them of the beautiful shoestring variety, right, on a punt return, on, on a punt coverage. And, um, you know, the last one I can remember, and, and sort of with each and every tackle, people, especially in the north side stance where the press box was, um, began to realize, hey, that's DJ, you know, like just, you know, Darren knew so many people in the Ottawa football community that there were so many people in the stands who had seen him play or, you know, played with him or, you know, had somebody who knew him. Um, and so he makes the last one. And it was another beautiful shoestring. He pops to his feet, two arms, and the crowd gives him a, just a wonderful ovation. You know, even if you didn't know it was DJ, you knew they were having a great day on special teams, that day on coverage teams. And, um, so 2004, I guess it was, um, the Grey Cup is in Ottawa. It's BC and it's Toronto. And DJ winds up being his last game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, it's it's pretty clear that it's towards the end of the line here, if not, you know, the last hurrah. And he doesn't have a Grey Cup and he's playing on this great BC team with, you know, two superstar quarterbacks, Prenders and Dickinson. And I said to him, I said, look, DJ, I know this is breaking with the media protocol, but uh, I was the citizens football reporter at the time. I said, uh, I'd like to meet you at um, the very first place you played football organized. And he went, well, that's the part. And help me out here, Snake, the, uh, the park in Britannia. I think it's off. Pinecrest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Broncos no, right. used to play the whole park there. And I forget the name of it, but I know what you're talking It's actually funny, Matt. I remember you doing this, but to continue, yeah. I knew you talking. Well, I said, I said, DJ, what, you know, this is the Saturday before the game. Like, you know, this is, I said, what, you know, what time are you free of team obligations? And he said something like, uh, well, you know, four o'clock. And I said, okay, meet me at the park. And Darren and I met at the park and a citizen photographer came with us for a little bit. We got some photos out of the way. And then we just walked the park and DJ told me stories. I mean, he told me a story about um, how he got recruited to play football. Like, you know, the direction he was running on one of the streets around that park and how the uh, Britannia Broncos coach at the time happened to be there and said, Hey kid, you look like you can really run. You ever want to play football? And, you know, DJ went home, said, Mom, I want to play football. They cobbled together the money. Next thing you know, he was playing football and um, making his way up and authoring one of the great football stories uh, for Ottawa. When you think of all the teams DJ played on, how many of them were good, how many of them, you know, he was a catalyst. And um, gosh, that was so rewarding, so uh, enriching to walk around uh you know that park that day and this is 24 hours before the gray cup like you know, i'm not sure media access would allow that these sorts of days and we uh <coughs> excuse me we talked uh, and you know at one point he said you know it's good for me to be here it's good for me to remember the people who let me play i'll never forget that the people who at first let me play uh, and of course those were you know in Kaffa coaches and in Kaffa administrators um, and, uh, you know, I 
think Aaron would be the first to tell you his life is richer because of uh, because of football. And uh, you know, there's no storybook ending here. The Lions get upset the next night by Damon Allen and uh, the Argos, uh, and Darren uh, retires. But you know, I think I put in the piece like he is Ottawa's Mister Football. Uh, you know, when you think of how many community school appearances you know Darren made over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was, I feel privileged to be a part, you know, that I was able to be a part, you know, tell that story, uh, uh, because of, uh, you know, because of my position with the citizen as a football reporter. So, yeah, I remember you, uh, I remember you talking about that. Cause I mean, you brought up a point and I'll just kind of reiterate this to people. I mean, one of the few guys, um, that can go down in history and say he basically at the time, I mean, things have changed a little or they batted, but he played every single level, uh, right. organization, I should say of football offered meaning that he played junior football university football professional football high school yeah. football and nakafa football that's right that's and, right. Uh, and for him it all started with nakafa yeah no and and i'm glad you you name checked them all uh wayne because you know <laughs> there wasn't a football team that darren joseph wasn't good enough to make there wasn't a football team that darren joseph didn't want to play for and there wasn't a football team that, that didn't feel lucky to have darren joseph on his roster. He was that sort of a player, that sort of a competitor, that sort of a man. No, you know, I was just about to add to that. The last thing I would add when you're talking about Darren is, I mean, I'm sure you would agree with me. Um, phenomenal football player, probably one of the best Ottawa's ever produced, even better human being. Uh, yeah. yeah. All friend. And I mean, uh, just, it's one of those yeah. uh, things in life where every now and then you think, you know, sometimes life isn't fair. And then other times yeah. you look at it and you think life is very fair. And Darren, yeah. knows of it being kind of fair Great yeah well yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you this story wayne he he wasn't an original renegade mm-hmm. because there were only so many bodies that they could bring to camp and they knew that darren could play and they knew that darren wasn't going anywhere and so what they said to darren was i'll tell you you know we'll bring you in later in camp or the first week of the season or whatever it was but we want to be able as an expansion team to test as many you know, these unproven Canadians as we can to create as much depth as we can, because, you know, it's going to be tough sledding this year. And Darren, God bless him. Um, his first few weeks uh, with the Renegades, which was the second Ottawa team he would play for in the CFL. Of course, he played for the Rogers. Um, his first few weeks uh, with the Renegades, his these weren't his duties per se, but he just went about and did it. Like he went to the airport and picked guys up and brought them to Campville. You know, and like this was, you know, new players, guys looking to take his job, perhaps uh, CFL veterans like Kelly Wilshire and, and whatnot. Like, you know, uh, you know, Darren was, you know, think of it, you know, the indignity of a guy that who was that level of football player doing airport runs to pick up other football players. But, you know, I don't think Darren saw it like that, you know, for a nanosecond. You know, it was helping the team. It was helping Ottawa football. And, uh, you know that's the type of guy Darren Joseph is hundred percent buddy. Well, Matt, I appreciate it. We went, uh, I kept you on longer than I said we would, but you know what, man, this was fun. We had no hiccups. I kind of got that smoothed out. I'm glad we, uh, we actually kept trying. I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I think it's a great story to, to tell about the CAFA. Um, I'm happy to be part of them. And, uh, and I thank guys for time, bud. Well, it, first of all, it was always going to be longer with you, Snake. And uh, look, I'm not so bad at that myself. So 
no, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, Wayne. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity to go down memory lane here, but also uh, to be able to talk about some people who are important in, uh, in my life and some experiences uh, that were important uh, in my life and, and uh, you know, link them back to Encapo football because those were six tremendous years for me. Awesome, buddy. Well, you take care and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. Be good. Hey, thanks, Matt. Bye. Bye. And thanks again to Matt Sakaris for jumping on the 65-465 podcast series. And, of course, thanks to you for dropping by and listening to our NACAFA 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. Make sure you check us out next time. We'll talk to you later.